Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this day, Father. We thank you and praise you for this message. Father, we pray that everything that is said today, Father, will be to the upbuilding of your kingdom. Father, we thank you that it will not return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. And we give you the praise and honor glory for it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, this man and woman had a, a, a lawnmower, and the lawnmower had been broke for a period of time. And she had reminded him a few times that the lawnmower needed to be fixed. And then she reminded him a few more times, and then a few more times. So she had kind of got to her wits end. So she decided that the best way she could show him how important it was to get the lawnmower done is when he came home from work, she was sitting in the front yard with a tiny pair of scissors clipping the grass. And he sat there for a second and thought, and he said, hmm, this is probably not going to end well. So he thought and thought and thought. He said, you know what, I got it. So he goes inside the house, and he comes back out, and he, she said, what are you doing? She said, I'm cutting the grass. So he handed her a toothbrush and said, well, when you get done, how about wipe off the sidewalk too? <clears throat> they say he will walk again. It's just going to be with a limp. <clears throat> Um, all right, so uh, we finished our series on Blood Bought. Uh, um, it, you know, I had a lot of folks talk about it. At, you know, it was a different kind of scenario. It was a di- not a different scenario, but a different example or illustration. But, it, you know, and I guess in my head, in my world, it just makes sense to explain it that way. So what we're going to talk about today is the church, Right. And, and, and we take that word church for granted, right? We, we, we understand what it means. We know where it comes from. I mean, yes, yeah, the church, this church. We're standing in the church. But actually, if you go back through the Bible, the word church was really never used until the New Testament, right? The first time that I can find the word the word church was used is when, oh, well, let's go to there. It, it, it's Matthew. Well, I'm already turned to it. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Matthew uh, chapter 16, and it's verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, right? So did, this had never been said, right? Nobody had actually said that Jesus was the Messiah. It had been hinted about. It had been talked about. I mean, we talked about last week, John said, behold, the Lamb of God, right? Here he comes. But, but, in, a, but in a direct answer, and there was not a lot of, I mean, Jesus used illustrations, and he tried to make them understand what he was trying to get the point across. But it was not a lot of, I mean, Question and answer, right? He, 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 he didn't have a lot of specific answers. He tried to more make them understand it on a broader stroke. But Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter and the rock, or will I, I will build my church. And the gate of ha- gates of Hades or hell or the undead will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is the first time that really the word church was mentioned. Right? It was the first time that... And it, now, 
This is not the, the, the gathering together of believers, right? Because the Jewish folks called that the temple. And if you just talk about the gathering together of believers, that really went back before Abraham, right? And Abraham's a father of faith. And, but, the, but the word church for the first time was used in this setting right here when Jesus said, you're the rock and who I'm going to build a church on. Which had to be a pretty daunting task. Wouldn't you think that's a daunting task? <clears throat> I can tell you, uh, in my very limited experience of being a pastor of a very small church in a very rural town, that's a daunting task. So being the guy who the religion is going to be built upon, I can't imagine the pressure, right? And it makes it worse as you go through the next couple of months, years, days, whatever you want to say with Peter, right? Because here is the guy we're going to build the church on, and then he has multiple opportunities to be the guy that they're building a church on, and he fails. I mean, he fails multiple times, right? I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to get Jesus, he pulls out a sword and cuts dude's ear off. He, he acts in the opposite direction of what Jesus wants him to act. The night they crucify him, right? He denies them three times. I mean, the rock that the church is built on failed multiple times. But isn't that kind of, um, isn't that kind of fitting that the rock that the church was built on failed and then was redeemed and then failed and then was redeemed? Because, see, that's the whole thing behind the church is that all have sinned and all have come short, right? There is no perfect. Now, I'm not saying Peter was the best disciple. I don't know if Peter was the best disciple. I don't really know a lot about some of the disciples. I mean, you hear bits and pieces of what their life was. You don't know if they were tall or short or fat or skinny or good or not good. or you know. I mean, some of them were tax collectors and some of them were fishermen. I would imagine they none smelled real good. I mean, right? I, they just couldn't have. Right? It's not a group of people you gather together that was going to attract the crowd. And that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, if you went into a... a, a Let's say you were going to start a new religion and you went into a town to where you were going to start this new religion. This is going to be the base point of where the new religion starts. I would not think that you would look for fishermen and tax collectors to be the most affluent, well-recognized, most influential people in the community, right? I mean, in general, not, right? Not. But isn't that kind of how God does things, right? He didn't always look for the most affluent, the most prestigious, the most educated. I mean, sometimes he uses the folks that are not. But the church itself really was started with a group of folks who were very imperfect. And what's funny to me is, is when Peter was the first person to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, really, really. Well, I mean, you know, I say that. I mean, John jumped inside, right, with Mary when, I mean, it's, I mean, there were lots of times where it was foretold, but this is the first time he basically, somebody just laid it out to him and said, hey, who do you think I am? I think you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then if you fast forward, right, and from Matthew 16 to Acts 2, it's not a long fast forward, but in the book it's a couple pages, right? But if you go to Acts 2, right? And you start at verse 14, and then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the 
crowd and said, fellow Jews and all of you who have lived in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Wait a minute. Is that where the church started? I mean, really, is that where the church started? I mean, truthfully, in Acts 2, right after Pentecost, right? They were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell on them. That's really when the church started. But because before then, it was the temple, right? It was the, it was the, the teachers of the law and all of the things that were in the, the Judaism stuff the, where they had to do the ceremonial washing and the, and the sacrifices on that. But the first time that there was a, and I'm going to use the word evangelical, and I'm not talking about the one in St. Stephen, but the first time that there was a born-again evangelical movement that took place, the first time that actually took place, Peter was the guy who stood up and started talking. And even though he struggled with it a little bit with the Jews and the Gentiles, he talked about it in this statement that to all of you who live in Jerusalem, to the Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, even then it was an all-inclusive group. Now, I mean, in Later on, Peter has a hard time, and God shows him the sheet and says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat, for nothing I've made is unclean. And him and <clears throat> Paul have a little disagreement of who's to the Gentiles and who's to the Jews, and I get that. But when the church started, it was an inclusive group. And unfortunately, as the church has developed over the last 2,000 years, now, if you read this sermon that Peter preaches, right, it, it, it doesn't take you very long. You can read it in a couple of minutes, right? And it, it's pretty neat of what all he says. And I mean, it's a pretty good sermon, right? And all these people get saved, and it's like four-minute sermon, right? And it wasn't in a building. It wasn't in, they didn't have people sitting in pews and microphones and neckties and Facebook. I mean, they didn't have all of that. They didn't have a praise and worship time and then a collection time and then a welcome time and little people's church. And See, we created all of those things. Man created a lot of the aspects of what we call church. But truthfully, then, if you go back to where Peter started in, 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 the, in, the, in the beginning, not in the beginning where there was light created. In the beginning of the church, in Acts 2, when the church was first the church, when it was a baby church, it just started. They met in people's houses. They met in the temple courtyard. They met outside. They met on the side of a mountain. They did whatever. I mean, they weren't. It wasn't just on Sunday morning at 1030 if everybody showed up on time or 1040 if we weren't quite running on time. I mean, it was they met wherever. They, 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 they went about preaching the gospel to basically anybody who would stop long enough to listen. To pretty much anybody who wanted to hear it, they preached the gospel. And it wasn't just the 11, right? It was lots of folks. I mean, the church started growing. In fact, when they started talking about it, you know, they said, well, if we kill Jesus, we'll kill this. The way. We'll stop the way from happening. But what happened was is they didn't understand the, the situation. They didn't understand the sacrifice. And what they did was, in fact, kick off the way. Because without the sacrifice, there is no church. Right? It, 
if, if Jesus would have continued to live, there is no church. There is no born again. There is no redemption of sin. There is no opportunity to preach the good news, to go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to every living creature. That's the church. The church is to go into all of the world and preach the gospel, to show them God's love, to be the hands and feet of Christ. That's the church. This is just a building. Jesus told them in John, hey, you could tear down the temple and I'll build it back in three days. Well, what happened? The church went from, the temple went from the Holy of Holies to where the Ark of the Covenant was housed to inside of me. I became the church. They say, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be amongst them. I'm the, we're the church. The church isn't the building. The church is not, address is not 150 Church Road. That's where the building is that we meet on a regular basis because nobody has a house big enough that we can all go sit in comfortably. Or then, you know, we'd be worried about who cleaned up when and whether or not they had refreshments and, and then, you know, whether they had dirty clothes or not. And if the poor lady's still cutting the grass with the, the, the scissors. I mean, right, that's the, the reason that there is a church building is because none of y'all like us enough to come in your house every week to have church. Now, this week we probably could all fit. It's a couple. But last week we'd have been standing in the yard and up upstairs and downstairs and all around. But the church is us. And the church has a job. But over the course of time, it got more and more regulations and more and more restrictions and more and more stipulations to be part of the church. Did God do that? No. Who did that? I'm going to say us because it's us humans, but not us individually, but us. Who decided that there were white churches and black churches? Who decided that there were small churches and mega churches? Who decided that they were this kind of church or that kind of church or them kind of churches or those kind of churches? That's segregation of the body of Christ. The church, when it started right here, Acts 2, there was no segregation. But early in the church, when, 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 even with Paul, right? Paul says, some say they follow Apollo, some say they follow Paul, some say they follow Cephas or Peter, right? They'd already started to separate themselves out based on who their favorite preacher was. And that's kind of silly. But we're in the same boat. Our church right now is segmented into many pieces, many pieces. Why? Because I don't like the way they sing that song. Or they don't let me talk when I'm supposed to. Or they didn't let me have. I mean, you know what I mean? There, there are all kinds of reasons that the body of Christ have been segmented. Did I think you should have communion this way or that way? I mean, even in this church, right? When, when this church was formed, we took communion from this church and from that church. And we said, should we do it this way because they do it this way? Or should we do it that way because they did it that way? And they negotiated out a deal and said, we're going to do communion once a month. Why? Why do we do communion once a month on the first Sunday? I don't know. Because that's what they decided in 1968 or 9 or whatever it was. But we put all of these rules and stipulations on the church when, when God didn't. Now, if you get into Timothy, right? Paul goes into Timothy and he talks about, you know, this is what a deacon should look like and this is what an elder should look like and this is what a pastor should look like. I mean, they do give you some regulations of what the church is. But the, the segregation of the church that we have right now, that's not of God. 
That didn't come from God. That came from man. It, it didn't. It didn't come from God. The body of Christ is supposed to be a united body of Christ that goes into all the world and preaches the gospel. The good news to everybody. Young and old, rich and poor, black, white, yellow, brown, pink, purple. It does not matter. Our job as the church hasn't changed. Our job as the church hasn't changed a lick in 2,000 years from when they had this original conversation to go into all the world and preach the gospel and lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, right? All of that stuff, all of the, the stuff Jesus told them to do, none of that has changed. Not one ounce. Now, depending on what church you attend on Sunday, they might have a different idea of what that looks like. And I understand. I mean, it's probably similar to why there's, you know, probably eight or ten car manufacturers represented in the parking lot. Not everybody wants to drive the same vehicle. Not everybody wants an F-250. Not everybody wants a Honda Civic. I mean, there's some difference in us, and I get it. But the important part is, is whether you drive a Honda Civic or F-250, you, you're still a car, right? It's still got four wheels and drives. Whether you go to the Episcopal Church or the Lutheran Church or the Baptist Church or the Christian Church or non-denominational church or the church with six people or the church with 6,000 people, the body of Christ is still supposed to look like the body of Christ. The church is still supposed to be the church. We're still supposed to gather together in fellowship. In fact, in Hebrews it says, do not forsake the gathering together of fellow believers. We're still supposed to be the church. Our driven goal is still supposed to be to show people God's love when we move about the world. Turn with me to Ephesians. <clears throat> and we're going to start with verse, um, oh, we need chapter first, don't we? Ephesians 4, verse 11. And so Christ himself gave apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of the service so that the body of Christ may build up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining a whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. Building up into the unity of Christ. Now, there are lots of tools in that, right? It was apostles, pastors, and evangelists, and prophets, and teachers. And so there was Fords, and Chevys, and Hondas, and Suburbans. But, but every part of them have the same goal, right? Should, should have the same goal. I mean, a car is only useful for one thing, to transport you from here to there. That's it. That's what it's built to do. The apostles and the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists, those people are supposed to be building up the body of Christ and creating unity in the body of Christ to the fulfillment of Christ. 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind and every teaching, by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings, right? So the People are the problem, right? The people, not God. God does not create separation. God does not create segregation. People create segregation. 
People change. And then really, you know, it's probably a lot of well-meaning, good Christians who say, well, if you don't wear a coat and tie, you're not welcome in our church. Right? Or if you don't wear this, you're not, you know, whatever. And then even now, I mean, now they wear bowling shirts and a shirt untucked or skinny jeans and boots and ripped jeans. And if y'all see me in ripped jeans preaching up here, my granddaddy would, oh boy, no way. But that's okay if that's what they want to do. That's not just not what we want to do, right? That's the difference. I'm okay with that if that's what you want to do. I don't care. Doesn't make any difference to me. As long as we're building up the body of Christ and creating unity in the church and teaching them about God's word and helping to develop in the fullness of Christ, good for you. I don't care if you wear a onesie or a spacesuit. It makes no difference to me. As long as you're preaching Christ crucified and preaching the gospel to the church and unity in the body of Christ, good for you. I don't care if you're tall or short or fat or skinny or old or young. It doesn't make any difference. And that is the difference of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be preaching the the gospel regardless of who it is, where they are, what they look like, what they smell like, how they act. It has no difference. And it's a whole lot easier to talk about God and, and, and salvation to somebody who is saved. It's a whole lot easier to talk about theology to somebody who has like beliefs as you that's easy this ain't easy this was never easy i mean peter walks out the door and is trying to explain to them what happened because they heard him speaking in tongues and they were laughing at him because they thought they were drunk it was not easy that was not an easy conversation to have it's only a four or five minute sermon but it was not an easy sermon it was not I didn't say it was going to be easy for us either. But our job, our calling, should be creating the unity in the body of Christ and not separating it out. He's coming back for a perfect bride. With all of her fingers and toes. Fully functioning. That's not how we look right now. We don't look very unified. Man-made separation has created separation in the church. We believe this, and they believe that, and we believe this, and we believe that. We're supposed to believe that part from the front cover to the back cover. Granddaddy used to say it, even the genuine leather part, but I guess I bought a cheap Bible that don't even say genuine leather. (laughs) But I'm going to believe it's genuine leather if that makes y'all feel better. But we're supposed to believe from the front to the back that it all still applies to us, every inch of it. I saw a guy one time, right, they tore out, I think it was Jesse Duplantis, he tore out all the pieces of what you're not supposed to believe, and we believe this, and they don't believe that, and he ended up with a little sliver in the middle. But we believe all of it. And if we're going to have a unified body of Christ, we're supposed to live by all of it. We're supposed to show people what all of it looks like. All, A-L-L, all. And that's tough. It's tough for us. It's tough for the church. But I think we get hung up on what the church looks like now versus what the church is really supposed to look like. Going about doing good, healing those who are oppressed of the devil, preaching the gospel to everybody that will listen. And not be quarrelsome, right? I mean, there's all kinds of knots. There's all kinds of things not to do. But truthfully, if you talk about the, and 
I've been working on this sermon for a really long time. And every time I think it's time to preach it, I can't quite get it around it. But it's do the do's and not the don'ts. And that's the silly way to think about it. But let's just talk about what we're supposed to be doing. If we focus on the, what we're supposed to do long enough, we're not worried about what we're not supposed to do. If we are really the church and we're gathered together as a body of Christ and we are coming together and preaching the gospel and, and reading our Bible and renewing our minds and showing people God's love and being the hands and feet of Christ and giving back into the ministry and doing everything we're supposed to do, when do you have time to do something that you're not supposed to be doing? You don't. But the problem is, is the church is so, the church, not this church, but I mean even a little bit inside of the fellowship, right? The church is so spread out of what we're teaching and what we're not teaching. I told Dr. Bill, I got a really good friend. He preaches for an hour and 20 to an hour and 30 minutes every week. Y'all run me out of town on a rail, bro. No way. Most of y'all don't like sitting still for 25 to 32 minutes. I feel you start to get a little itchy, you know, especially if it's something that we don't necessarily, it ain't one of them amen sermons. You know, you know, we had them amen sermons where everybody go, oh, yes, I've heard this before. Preach, Pastor. Uh, you know, sometimes when it's new, y'all don't, y'all get a little hot. It's, whew, it's hot in here. I don't want to be to church all the time to where I'm doing my job, no matter what's going on around me. No matter who says what, no matter what else happens, that we're going to be the example of what the church is supposed to be. An all-inclusive group that you're welcome. If you're watching on Facebook, you listen on Podbean, you see us on TV, you're welcome. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you dress like. I don't, I, you're welcome. The body of Christ does not have stipulations of what you have to physically be to be part of it. Young or old, Fat or skinny, it doesn't matter. And the problem is, is we have this stigma in the community that they think that I've got to clean up my life where I can go be in church and act like them and look like them to be part of them. And if they only saw y'all, or us, I'll say us, if they only saw us before we was where we are, before God started working in our life, what would we look like? Tax collectors and fishermen would be a step up from most of us. The sin of what we lived in for a long time and what we thought was okay is pretty tough. And unfortunately, a lot of times the church wants to say, well, hmm, but yeah, but look at me now. Yeah, but look at you before. Or what did you do last Thursday when nobody else was watching? And that's the tough part. Because what people see in church is this. Y'all know how many days I look like this? One, I get dressed at nine o'clock, and when I walk in the back door at my house, the tie is already off, and I am unbuttoning the shirt. Me and Philip had a meeting on job site the other day and said something about wearing a tie. Oh, we were talking about where I used to work. I celebrated my anniversary this week, too. Krista says I shouldn't focus on that. But, but 13 years ago, April the 8th, I, I, I started a new job. And boy, it was amazing. But anyway, I used to have to wear a tie every day. And, and we were meeting. The guy was like, man, I can't see you in a tie. I said, well, you can see me in a tie on TV and on Facebook one day a week. And that's the only time. But people come here and see us in church and see what we look like in church. But this is not what we look like. But it should be how we act. It should be the loving, grace-filled group who are 
of doing good and going about helping others and being the hands and feet of Christ. You don't got to look like this. You don't got to dress like this to be a good Christian. And that's a kind of oxymoron, right? A good Christian. We're just part of the body of Christ. And when we fulfill our job as being part of the body of Christ in this inclusive group to where we are welcoming the people and to where we are looking to tell people the good news. And look here, the good news is not you're a sinner and going to hell. That's never been good news to anybody. You live terrible, bro. There's no way you're making it to heaven. That's not good news. That's not what they want to hear. That's what nobody wants to hear. But what the good news is, is Jesus loves you just how you are. You don't, he loves you just how you stand. And we would love for you to be part of this fellowship. If the church as a whole in America took the approach that Jesus loves you just how you are, and we would love for you to be part of the fellowship, revival would spark, and there would be more people coming to God than, they could, than you can imagine. Because you have a hole built on the inside of you that's made for the creator of the universe to live on the inside of you, and people walk around with that hole, and they don't know what it is. And instead of telling them, hey, look, I got some good news for them, well-meaning Christians tell them, hey, you can't live like this, you can't look like this, you can't have that, you can't act like that, you can't drink that, you can't do that. Are we helping them fill their hole? No, we push them further away. Well-meaning Christians have done more to hurt church growth than the devil ever thought about. Because we treat it like it's an inclusive club, exclusive club, that you've got to act like me and walk like me and talk like me and look like me to be part of me. That's not, this is not a country club. This is the body of Christ. And if you look at your body in the mirror when you get home, from the top to the bottom, there are all kinds of different looking parts. Some of y'all might not want to see yourself in front of the mirror, but if you look at yourself in front of the mirror, there are all kinds of different parts. There's toenails and eyelashes and nose hair and every part of the body of Christ is all kinds of different parts. Not everybody looks the same. But our job is to be more welcoming into the group. We are supposed to be producing sheep. We are supposed to be producing sheep. That's how sheep do, right? If you are a sheep farmer and you bought a few sheep, you're looking for those few sheep to turn into many sheep, right? That's, what that, that's how that works, right? There ain't sheep farmers that all buy all girls or all boys and look to not have any more sheep. That's not a sheep farmer. That's somebody who has pets. I don't care what you're raising. You've got to have boys and girls and create more sheep. Well, in this body, in this group, we should be creating more sheep. And the way we're creating more sheep is that we take the church, the way Peter walked out on the steps and said, let me tell you all about all the wonderful things that God has done for you, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth came to save you and they crucified him on the cross to redeem you from your sins. That's good news. You go into hell because you live like that or drive like that or act like that or drink this or smoke that or act that way. That's not good news. The church is built on good news. The rock, the guy that the church was built on, he was a miserable guy. I mean, he cut dude's ear off. He denied the guy he had followed and committed his life to three times in one day. He turned his back on his friend. If you think that makes it a country club atmosphere, that's exactly the opposite. Because in his worst, Jesus still loved him. And in our worst, Jesus still loves us. 
in, in, in the world's worst, we should still love them. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to act more Christ-like, right? We're Christians. The reason we're Christians is because we're more like Christ. And if we're going to be more like Christ, then we need to be more about loving people and tending to people and helping people and working on people than we are telling them what they did wrong. Jesus didn't make a real good living walking around telling people what they did wrong. I mean, he ran some people out of the temple with a whip and told them they were doing wrong. I mean, you know. But it was a come to me. Take, come to me. I want you saved. I want you healed. I want you redeemed. I want you renewed. That's us. And if it wasn't for his grace, there wouldn't be a church. And if we want a church to grow, we need to learn how to show his grace to the world. N not preaching hellfire and damnation. Preaching love and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this message. Father, we pray that it will go out and it will not return void. And Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.